years, we've um, endeavored to pastor this church as a family. Um, Rick Renner confirmed this later with a sermon I heard several years ago at a minister's conference where he said that God calls families. God calls families. And um, so, John Mark, I just want to say thank you publicly for, um, you know, helping us pastor this church from the time you were four and a half years old um, until now. Amen. Yeah. And, of course, you know, most recently with the, with the youth department. And um, you've done a great job, son, with that. And so, um, amen. We love you. I don't know why I'm doing this. I could just be preaching right now. Amen. But it needs to be said, right? Give honor to whom honor is due. So I honor you, son. And uh, we love you. And um, amen. Good things coming. Praise God. All right. Let's. um, Yes, Lord, I'm going to do it. Amen. So there's there's a story from what we refer to here at Heritage um, as the cabinet shop days. And that would have been the first couple of years uh, or so uh, of, of our existence as a family of faith. Uh, June of 98, uh, we had our first service. First Sunday in June 1998, we had our first service um, a few blocks that way uh, in um, Winslet Kitchen and Bath was the name of our cabinet business. And we moved some of the uh, showroom displays out, set up some chairs, and uh, and, and began the church. And um, in the... Uh, very early days of the church, there were two very important encounters that I had with the Lord, really more than that, but two that I'm going to mention. Um, one was a dream, and in that dream, I saw the Lord, and it was a very different dream in the sense that um, I think I had a vision of the Lord unlike anybody I've ever heard that has had a vision of him in the sense that um, there was flesh and skin on his face, but there was very little skin on the rest of his body. And I remember in that dream staring into his eyes first, and it changed me forever. But then I remember the skeleton, and it was almost the look on his face was, was like, help me. He did not speak to me. He just looked at me, but the look communicated. And the skeleton, the structure of his body was beautiful, but it was hard and cold. It didn't have the flesh on it. And in that dream, what I believe the Lord was communicating to me was that he wanted his children to make him real and, and that we wanted to put skin on the body of Christ for it to be approachable and huggable and touchable and inviting and, and warm. Now, that was the end of the dream. Here's the beginning of the dream. In this dream, John Mark was the toddler that he was when this church started, and I was holding him, and this man came out of nowhere in this dream, and he um, was obviously in a bad way, 
in the sense that he, um, not to be stereotypical, but he appeared to be homeless, he appeared uh, to be destitute, he appeared to be broken, and, um, and he was screaming at me at the top of his lungs for me to show him Jesus. He said, sir, show me Jesus. I want to see Jesus. But it was, he, he was, we might say it this way, the younger generation might say it this way, he was freaking out, screaming and hollering, and he, and he had me by the ankle. For days after this dream, I could still feel his hands around my ankle. And part of that made me very um, concerned, not so much because he had grabbed a hold of me, but because I had John Mark in my arms, and I was concerned, first of all, for his safety, but I was also concerned that this man was going to scare him. But the one thing the Lord showed me in the middle of all that, while this man is freaking out, he's got me by the ankle, he's got, i got to see Jesus, you've got to show me Jesus. Sir, please, show me Jesus, just take me to him, I've got to have him, I've got to see him, right? I mean, but it's, it's, I mean, it's like some wild animal has got a hold of me. Um, I remember that it was not affecting John Mark at all. And see, that was kind of back to the root of some of that in me, that I was somehow going to put my children in some position that it was going to, you know, somehow affect them in a negative way. John Mark was not, um, again, affected by that at all. Um, but the, the more this man was grabbing at me and pulling at me, I remember this impulse to try to, to try to shake him off. And, and so I began to struggle against him. Um, and it was kind of in this whole process while I'm struggling against him and thinking, you know, do I, you know, what do I do, you know? And I realized that John Mark wasn't afraid at all by this. He wasn't alarmed at all by this. And, um, and so I relaxed. And the moment in my dream that I relaxed, these words came from inside my belly out of my mouth. I looked at that man and I said, Sir, you have Jesus by the ankle. Now, again, that was not, I'm not trying to freak you out, okay? I said, Sir, you have Jesus by the ankle. And the minute I said that, that's when the Lord's face appeared to me in that dream. Uh, A beautiful face, but there were only patches of skin on his body and and there was there was skin for the most part on his hands um and so we as the body of Christ are to put skin on him i, I i'm still now the book that i'm working on as it coincides with the sermon series that we're in now a lot of this um, a lot of these things are things that have been percolating inside of me now um, for, you know, 23-plus years. Things that I've made probably four books worth of notes about. Um, and so it, it's time. Now, I said two experiences, and <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the, the second one as well. There's... At, at, right at this same time, 
There was a friend of mine, we grew up together, we went to school together, she lived one street over uh, from me, but her and her family were a part of this church for the first, I don't know, 10 years or so of this church, and, um, and she was in the hospital, and um, it uh, used to be Medical Center East, I think it's St. Vincent's East now, um, and um, so I had went to visit her in the hospital and, and to have prayer with her. And um, the nurses came in and needed to do some things with her. And obviously, she's a female. And, it, you know, so um, I said, let, I excused myself and, you know, stepped out in the hallway. Of course, they closed the door and they were in there attending to her. Across the hall and about four doors down, there was an elderly woman who was obviously suffering. And, um, and she was crying out in pain. Again, I can close my eyes and, and hear her voice. This was not a dream, by the way. This was, this was real. And, um, and she was crying out, and I won't, I'm not, obviously I'm not trying to, to mimic her. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Um, I was not trying to, I'm not trying to mimic her, but she was basically saying, she was calling for Jesus. She was saying, Jesus, oh, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. I'm just, I mean, it was just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And so I was standing there in, in the hallway as she was crying out for Jesus to help her. And clear as a bell in my spirit, the Lord said to me, she's calling you. And I said, no, no, she's not calling me. She's calling you. He said again, she's calling you. And so I went down the hall there, and I stuck my head in the room, and it was an elderly lady. She was in there by herself. Her door was open, and she was crying out for Jesus, right? Now, again, I had planned on sharing these two stories at a later date, and I'm not trying to spiritualize everything, but that rain, I think, is not a coincidence. I think the enemy is trying to, to, to steal this moment from us, but I will not allow him to do that, okay? And if, if, if what I'm telling you seems to be a bit extreme, I'm going to ask you to, uh, to just fasten your seatbelt and to hang on in, you know, for the coming Wednesday nights as, as we develop more and more of this. Because what we clearly see in the body of Christ, I mean, what we clearly see in the Bible is that we are the body of Christ. The Bible says that you are the body of Christ and a member individually. And that you are flesh of His flesh and that you are bone of His bones. That this is, this is not... Uh, speaking of something figurative or metaphorical. It's not that it's like a body, it's that you are the body of Christ. He is the head of the body, and we are the individual members that make up the body, and He doesn't go anywhere or do anything in the earth without His body. So you are the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen. And so when someone cries out for him, you and I have the awesome opportunity to present him to them. 
Amen. In a very meaningful and impactful and powerful way. So one more time, she was crying out for Jesus, and, and, and the Lord said to me, she's calling you. Now, I have shared those two accounts a few times over the last however many years. I'm sharing them with you again tonight because I feel like we have, and I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be overly uh, dramatic about this, but we spent some time last week reviewing some of the major things that have been revealed by the Holy Spirit from the Word of God to the body of Christ, starting back in the 1980s. And I'm not going to try to run through that whole list again. But one of the last and most important things that the Holy Spirit has been emphasizing to the body of Christ through His pastors and teachers and ministers is the important truth from the Word of God concerning who we are in Christ. The Bible has so much to say about your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ, who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And again, these are among some of the most important things that the Word of God and the Spirit of God could ever reveal to you. But as we went through that list of things last week, we see that each one is, is not just um, a, a standalone understanding in, in and of itself, but that each one of those things were building upon the last and preparing us for the next, and then for the next, and then for the next, and then for the next, okay? And so as important as who you are in Christ is, and that is one of the most important revelations that you will ever lay hold of from the Word of God. But the final frontier of discipleship is not who you are in Christ, but it's who Christ is in you. It's who Christ is in you. And in a lot of ways, I, I feel like the last 20-some-odd years of ministry um, have been, and listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that my journey is everybody's journey, but Pam can tell you, not that I have to have a witness to verify this, but year after year after year after year, the things that the Lord would be speaking to us here at Heritage, we would then go to Texas to a minister's conference uh, of men and women of our company, right? And, and they haven't been listening to me preach. And I haven't been listening to, to, to most of those men and women preach. And yet, without fail, the Lord would be speaking to them through people from all over the world. The same thing the Holy Spirit had been speaking to us, or was beginning to speak to us, as, as that minister's conference would begin in January, it would either be the things that we had spoken, uh, had been focusing on on Wednesdays and Sundays the year prior to that, or the things that the Lord had already laid on our heart and we had already begun to talk about for the Sundays and Wednesdays in, in the year that was ahead. So I, I am confident that these are not just things that the Lord is, is speaking uh, to me about. Um, I can't tell you how many times um, things that the Lord has spoken to Brother Donald um, has, has, has 
has been confirmed by things he's speaking to me and vice versa. And, and I'm, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this to say, oh, look at me or look at us. I'm, I'm just saying that, that God has a plan. And he's revealing that plan. And the problem that a lot of folks have had, and, and, the, and the Lord gave us this really simple illustration sometime last year, is that can you imagine um, going into the front gate at Disney World and 95% of the people at Disney World that day were standing right there by the entrance and, were ref- and, and, and for whatever reason were not moving on in to that amusement park and all the other attractions and shows and, and things that are there for them to experience and enjoy. And, and that's the vision that the Lord gave me for, that, that's happening for so many of His people. That, that, that we view um, our salvation as nothing more than a ticket to get us in the front gate without understanding that salvation is not an end in and of itself, but salvation is a means to the greater end that Father God wants to produce in our lives. Do you realize how many of God's people have passed through the gate of salvation but have never moved on to the thrill ride of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do you realize how many of, of God's people have made it through the front gate of, of, of salvation and have at least once in their lifetime spoken an unknown tongue, but are not walking in the fullness of the Spirit, not being led by God's Spirit? Have, and, and so there's so many things that Father God has for us to experience, and yet we see that a lot of God's people... They, they reach a certain level of understanding and revelation in the things of God, but never progress beyond that. And we see that everything God is teaching you today, everything He's revealing to you today, everything that He's showing you today is certainly to benefit you and bless you and help you today. But it's also, please don't ever lose sight of this, it's also intended to prepare you for what He wants to show you later today or tomorrow. The the place that He wants to take you next. The experience that He wants to lead you into next. The understanding and revelation that He wants to, to, to take place in your life next. So it's not just... Um, nothing is an end in and of itself with God. He has more than a hundred year plan for your life. And so what he's wanting to show you now is preparing you and putting you in a position, right, for what he wants to do in you, with you, for you, through you next. Amen. And so this is where we get these expressions line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, from grace to grace, from faith to faith, from glory to glory, right? He's talking about this this continual progressive growth and development, okay? But what are we, what are we, what are we growing towards? Or what, what is the purpose? What, what, what is the growth about? Well, we see it in Ephesians. We are growing up into Jesus in all things. We're growing up into him, okay? So let's go back to it, right? Sir, you have Jesus by the ankle. Son, do you not hear her calling you? She's calling you. No, sir, she's calling Jesus. She's calling you. You represent me on this earth. Right? So we're growing up into that truth. We're growing up into that reality. Any any measurement of spiritual growth that does not include us becoming more and more like Jesus and Jesus becoming more and more obvious and magnified in our mortal bodies, right, is an inaccurate measurement of spiritual growth. Father was not kidding around when he said, be imitators 
of God as dear children. So again, the final frontier of spiritual growth and discipleship is not who you are in Christ, but it's who He is in you. But see, here's the thing. You, you will never dare to even begin to believe who He is in you until you first understand who you are in Him. Because until you understand those truths, the next set, right, you, there's nothing in your life to support the reality of these things. Amen. Are you still with me tonight? Okay. Now. Oh, praise God. So when we say that the purpose and goal of discipleship is for the inward reality of the new birth to become an outward expression of life, we're talking about who and what resides in you now. But that becoming an outward expression of your daily life, right? Now, you ask the, the smallest child, you know, in Sunday school, if you've been saved, where does Jesus live? Jesus lives in my heart. And you're absolutely right. He does live in your heart. So do you see now why we are to represent him? Not just, notice I didn't mispronounce the word, on, uh, you know, accidentally. We say represent, okay? Well, to represent is to present again, is to re-present. We are to represent him. We are to represent him to the world. So the final frontier of discipleship is not who you are in Christ, but who Christ is in you. Now, let's go uh, tonight, and we've covered some of this, and I'm going to try to at least squeeze some of this in. Can you stay with me for a few more minutes? All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Look at me for a moment, okay? My experiences in a hospital hallway or my experiences in a dream, okay, you know, that, that can be, uh, how do I say this? I don't care who it is that's talking about their experience or their dream or what have you. If it does not line up with the Word of God, okay, and the Bible says that, that when someone prophesies, for an example, okay, um, you're to hear that, you're to acknowledge that, but then you're also to judge it, not the person, you're to judge what that person says by the inward witness of the Holy Spirit and by the written Word of God, okay? So I, I could make these kinds of statements. I could tell you about some dream, but, you know, I mean, I could have eaten too much pizza that night, didn't sleep well, and had fitful sleep, and just imagined some craziness, okay? Um, unless it can be unless it lines up with and can be shown to you in the Bible. Okay? All right. Now, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I'm, not, I'm only going to mention it briefly because i got too many other things on the list tonight to try to get to. All right? But the Lord has really given me some revelation over the last six months about the passage of Scripture that says your frame is dust. You ever heard that? Our frame is dust. Well, what he's talking about there is our physical body was made from the dust of the earth. But for so long, I've only seen that concept of frame as being the framework, okay? You know, the, the, the frame of, 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 of my body, okay? He's not, he's not talking about that only, okay? He's talking about, watch this now, he's talking about a frame, Okay? He's talking about a canvas. He's talking about 
a body made from the dust of the earth that was designed in such a way as to, as to emanate the glory of God from it. So your frame is but dust. So here is another reference to this whole concept of an earthen vessel that has a treasure in it now. That has a treasure in it now. All right. So our example in all of these things is Jesus. Jesus came to this earth as a human being, and he also had a treasure in an earthen vessel, right? 2 Corinthians 5 says, look, we don't regard people according to their flesh, according to their outward appearance. Why do we not do that? He says we don't do that because in the same way that we knew Jesus in the flesh, we know him thus no longer. What is he saying? He's saying, remember when we weren't sure about who Jesus was? Remember when Jesus was just a really smart guy from Nazareth who um, used to make furniture, but now he's not a carpenter anymore, he's a teacher. And we weren't really sure, but, but now we know that he's the Son of God, and we know that, that, why is this? It's because the inward reality, the treasure that was in the earthen vessel of Jesus' physical body, right? It became an outward expression of his life. It, it, it became... It became, uh, when we talk about growing up into Jesus, again, the greatest example of, of what it looks like for a human being to grow up into Jesus is Jesus himself. Because he grew up into who he, who he was created and put on this earth to be as, as the Son of God and also as the Son of Man. So we see then that every miracle Jesus performed Every sermon he preached, every healing produced, every deliverance, every captive he set free was an outward expression of his inward reality. In other words, if you just looked at him, and I'm not just, listen, I I know he had to be awesome. Don't misunderstand me, okay? But according to the Bible, there was nothing about his physical appearance that would give away what was in him, uh, spiritually speaking. He said it this way, there was no comeliness. You know, I know we, you know, you hear all these, you know, people talk about, you know, Jesus, you know, he had this ripped physique and he, you know, this Tom Cruise, you know, handsome and all sort of stuff. Listen, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from him and, and maybe so, but the scriptures seem to point to the opposite of that. And by the way, Jesus was as common a name in Jesus's day as John or Joe is in our day. So even his name, I mean, we, we obviously respect his name now um, and, 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 and elevate it. But in those days, it was a common name. He had a common appearance. It was an earthen vessel like, like other earthen vessels, except for his was not born of corrupted seed, okay? And because of that, it made it a vessel fit for the Son of God to dwell inside of. Okay, so the miracles that Jesus performed, though, was a unveiling outwardly of what was already in him inwardly. Are you with me? It wasn't magic. It wasn't hocus pocus. It wasn't any of that. It was what was in him, in his earthen vessel. And we see this in John chapter 2, verse 11. This beginning of signs, 
Other translations have it miracles. I think King James Version has it miracles. That's why I put miracles in parentheses there. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. This beginning of signs or this beginning of miracles. First miracle. Jesus performed on this earth as a man. He did in Cana of Galilee. That right there is such an important phrase. Do you see it? If you underline, highlight things in your Bible, put a lightning bolt or something besides this one. And manifested his glory. Manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. I feel some of you slipping away. Can you hang with me for a few more minutes? So he manifested his glory. What does this mean? It means what was in him that had previously been concealed, that had previously been hidden, that had had never been seen until that moment, okay? It was released from him. To manifest forth means to take the lid off of something. It means something that was previously covered or previously hidden or previously invisible to be made visible, to be made known, to be revealed, to no longer be hidden, but to come out in the open. So do you see the connection here? The first miracle was Jesus turning 162 gallons of water into 162 gallons of wine. The miracle was about a lot of different things. But one of the things that you're going to see is that the glory that was in Jesus gave him dominion over lack. The glory that was in Jesus gave him the authority to turn lack and shortage into abundance and surplus. Because God's not a God of lack. He's not a God of shortage. He's not the God of barely enough or not enough or never enough. He's the God of more than enough. The glory of God is never revealed in lack and poverty. The glory of God is never revealed in shortage and coming up on the short end of the stick and almost having what it takes. That is not a manifestation of the glory of God. The manifestation of the glory of God is 162 gallons of wine after the entire wedding party had already drank the place dry. And it was the best wine that any of those people had ever tasted. Now, the water becoming wine was an unveiling and releasing of the glory that was in Jesus. The glory of a thing is revealed when it functions at its highest and best. Okay? Now, Let me tell you where I'm trying to get to tonight. And we've been close the last two Wednesday nights. I'm going to show you before you leave here tonight that the glory that was in Jesus was given to Jesus by His Father. Okay? Anybody have any problem with that? Where was that glory? It wasn't just on Him, it was in Him. There's a difference. When he was transfigured before Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory that was in him literally shined through him. And uh, it, it, it literally, it was, it, was, it was almost blinding. Okay? That glory was in him at birth. Okay? 
and he got that glory from his Father. Are you still with me? It's important to note that this was not the glory that Jesus had when he left his Father's right-hand side and came to this earth through the womb of a teenage virgin named Mary. The glory that he possessed as the eternal Son of God, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself of that. He set that glory aside and he came to this earth and he was crowned with another glory. He was crowned with the glory that was originally on the head of Adam. Psalm 8 says, What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you visit him. You've made him a little lower than yourself and you've crowned him with glory and honor. Adam was crowned with glory. And when he sinned, he fell short of that glory. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is speaking of the glory that God has for every human being on this planet. Adam sinned and he fell short of that glory. This is why Jesus is referred to as the last Adam. The last Adam came to restore back to you and me everything we lost when the first Adam fell from through because of his sin. So the glory that Jesus manifested at the wedding feast of Cana this was not the crown of glory that was on his head at his father's right hand side. He took that crown off, if you will, set it down beside his father and came to this earth and took our crown. Father God crowned him with your glory and with my glory. And everything that Jesus did on this earth as a man, he did wearing the crown of glory that belongs upon humankind. So watch this. When he was seated at his father's right hand, was he all-knowing? Omniscient, yes. He knew everything. He knew everything. He was all-knowing. When he came to this earth, he wasn't all-knowing. He said, I don't know anything to say unless my father tells me to say it. He went to the fig tree... Because it looked like it had figs early on it and he went to see. If he had not set the glory that belonged to him aside before he came to this earth, he would have known, he would have known when he was 11 years old whether or not that fig tree was going to have figs on it when he was 32. When the woman with the issue of blood touched him and was healed, who touched me? He didn't know. If he, had been, if he was still wearing the crown of glory that he wore before he came to this earth, he would have known. He didn't know. Could he be everywhere present, omnipresent on this earth as a man? No. And this is going to freak a lot of people out. Was he all-powerful? 
while he was on this earth as a man? Again, no. It doesn't say he chose not to do any mighty work among his hometown people who needed healing. It says he could not do any mighty work among them. Are you seeing this? In John 17, he says, Oh, Father, these that you've given me. I'm paraphrasing, but it goes something like this. I can't wait for them to see me in the original glory that I had with you before I came to this earth. They've only known me in the light of this glory. I look forward to the day when they see me in the light of my eternal glory. So the glory of God is everything God is. Now, we're going to have to work on this for a minute. All right, 758. I mean, when I say a minute, maybe in a few more minutes next week, okay? The glory of God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to break it down. In the Greek, it's the doxa of God, D-O-X-A of God. Okay? The glory of God, if you take that whole long two-column definition, let me tell you what it's basically saying. The glory of God is everything that God is. It's everything that God can do, and it's everything that God has. All that He is, all that He can do, and all that He has. Okay, That's the glory of God. This is what Jesus had before he came to this earth. He had the glory of the eternal Son of God. Everywhere present. Knew everything, could do everything. When he chose to come to this earth as a man, he set that glory aside and he came to this earth and his Father crowned him with a glory that was originally upon Adam. Now, John chapter 17, he's praying. He says, Father, I do not pray for these alone. These alone would have been the inner circle of his disciples that were there praying that evening. He already prayed for himself. He already prayed for them. Now he he started with himself. He's praying for his close inner circle. And now he says, I don't pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you don't understand this, he's talking about you. Because there was somebody who preached so that you could be saved, who preached so that person 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 could be saved, saved, and you can trace that all the way back to this original group of disciples. You don't have to believe this to go to heaven. The Bible doesn't say this, but... I believe in my heart that when we get to heaven one day, you're going to be able to trace that lineage all the way back to the first disciple who preached, to somebody who else who preached, to somebody else who preached, to the guy who told you or the gal who told you. Okay. So it's a long way of me simply saying that he's talking about you and me right here. I don't pray for these alone, but for also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, 
that the world may believe that you sent me. You remember two Wednesday nights ago when we were talking about no longer being mere men and the Holy Spirit moved on Donald to say with a very thought, somebody's already said, I acknowledge that. Okay. You need to acknowledge this. Okay. Verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. We're talking about the inward realities of the new birth. And the inward reality of the new birth that's being referenced here, there's a lot of these inward realities, but the inward reality of the new birth that's being referenced here is that as a born-again man or woman, the same glory that turned the water into wine on the wedding feast at Cana is now in you. It's in you. Would somebody please say, I acknowledge that? It's in you. Do you see now why when that man had me by the ankle, do you see now why when I'm standing in that hallway and the Spirit of God says, she's calling you, don't you hear her calling you? It's because the glory of God, right? Now, the glory Father God gave to Jesus, as we've already said, it was in Him. But then there came a day when it manifested forth from Him. Right? It'd been in Him for a long time. But then there came the day of its first eruption. Now, a lot of verses that we've covered tonight. Psalm 8, lower than Elohim. It says angels, but that's not what that word means in the Hebrew. Crown him with glory and honor. Made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. crowned you with glory and honor and by crowning you with glory and honor he made you to have dominion over the works of your hands put all things under your feet you see when we lost our crown of glory we fell short of it because of sin with no crown, we had no dominion. We were created for dominion, to rule over depression, to rule over addiction, to rule over fear, to rule over the devil, to rule over death itself, to rule over poverty, to rule over these things. Now, listen, it's, I, I'm not trying to freak you out tonight. You don't have to have a Bible to know this. 
Because none of us were made for these things. None of us enjoy being sick. None of us enjoy being depressed. None of us enjoy being beat down, busted, and broke. None of us enjoy being the tail instead of the head. None of us enjoy losing. Because we weren't created to lose. We were created to win. We didn't have the crown, though, that would enable us to win. We were created for victory. We were created to rule and reign. We were created for dominion. But we lost our crown. No crown, no dominion. You must have a crown to have dominion. We lost our crown, and with it we lost our dominion. Jesus restored our crown, and in the process, He restored our dominion. Stand with me. So, so what do we see? What do, I, I want you to listen to me now, please. <clears throat> There are a lot of different kind of pastors in the world. Okay, Lord's really been challenging me here of late about some things, and and I appreciate that because we all need to be challenged. Right? So, different kinds of pastors in the world. Be careful which kind you choose. Okay. If you're just looking for a pastor to talk down to you and tell you what you already know and um, just kind of stroke your ego and tell you it's going to be okay and that sort of thing, I'm probably not the pastor for you. Okay, I, I'm not, not that I'm being mean or rough or harsh, but you need a pastor, and I'm not just saying this like trying to recruit you to this church. There are, there are men in this room who live all over the state of Alabama, all over the southeast. Come, you know, um, there's a brother here from Georgia. I mean, I'm saying, I, so I'm not this this hitting, I'm not lobbying for myself. I'm just telling you, generally speaking, you need a pastor who's accessible. You need a pastor who loves you. You need a pastor with a servant's heart. I could go on and on and on. But, but let, let me tell you what you also need is you need a pastor who will get up in your grill and stretch you and challenge you. See, more than one person in this room has probably said or thought something like this. It's like, we're not there yet. Well, see, if we, were, if we were there already, we wouldn't be talking about this today. We don't talk about it because we're there. We talk about it because we're not. We're, t- we don't, we're not talking about it because we, we know this and have mastered this. We're talking about this because, you, you know, we're, we're, the Holy Spirit is wanting to stretch you. He's, he's, he's coaxing you upward. He's like, come, come on, there's, there's more. You're right. There's more. There's a lot more. Come on. Let, let's, 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 let's move up into this. Let's, so again, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to beat you up or make you feel inferior or like, man, this is so far over my head. There's no way I could ever do this. It, the glory is in you right now. See, this is the last thing. Listen to me now. This is the last thing in the world I ever want to happen, right? You know, however many years from now, we're all over on the other side. And for somebody in this room to come find me and it's like, Pastor Bart, I sit in a hundred of your sermons and you never told me that the glory that was in Jesus was in me. No, 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 no. See, 
Amen. What you do with it is between you and God. But what I'm telling you right now, what I'm telling you right now, and let me tell you what our world needs more than it needs another bite of food in its mouth. It needs the children of God. It needs the sons of God with the glory of God in them, the same glory that raised Lazarus from the dead, the same glory that raised Jesus from the dead, the same glory that fed the 5,000. That same glory's in you. And this world is dying for it. The Bible says creation itself is like, where are you? Christ in you, the confident expectation of all that he is, of all that he can do, of all that he can have. Quit letting the devil tell you who you are. Quit letting your past tell you who you are. It's the glory of God in you. That's who you are. That's what you can do and that's what you can have don't let this world tell you what you can have don't let this world tell you what you can do well it's impossible you can never do that Mm -mm. Mm -mm. father thank you for this time together this evening lord i thank you that this world's crying out for you and so many of the members of your body are wondering when you're going to answer them, Lord. When you're going to do something? When you're going to help? When you're going to? When you're going to go do? And 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 where are the miracles like Gideon screamed? And what? Why is this? And why is that, Lord? And Father, we we don't even understand. They're crying out for us. Crying out for your people to show them you. Not some legalistic set of laws and regulations and religious traditions. They're, they're, they're looking, Lord, the world's crying out for you and we're showing them a, a structure. We're, we're showing them a, a, an, an organization. We're, we're, we're showing them our, our, our beautiful flowcharts of, 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 of this and that. And, 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 and Lord, they don't care about that. They're looking for life. They're looking for something warm they can hug and touch and feel. Something that's alive, something that's real. Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord. I'm convinced that this is what you mean when you say you're coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. A bride that is worthy of of you, Jesus, as a groom, a body that is fitting for you, Jesus, as a head. I believe, Father, that just like a dozen or more things over the years, Lord, that you have specifically spoken to us to preach, that you are specifically speaking to other of your children all around this country and all around this world to preach, Father. I believe that this is happening. And I believe, Father, that this, this revelation will be the one that brings you back to this planet. Not just who we are in you, but who you are in us. Your glory, 
your treasure in our earthen vessels. Overflowing, spilling out, leaking and weeping through. Like the river of life flowing from beneath the door in the throne room of God, bringing life everywhere it goes to everything it touches. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Much love.